Good morning to you on this very soggy, rainy day. Uh, the perfect setting to talk about joy. I think, you know, very appropriately uh, from, the, from the outset, and Charlie in sharing Grace's uh, enduring words and words of prayer, Mackenzie's affirmation, the songs that we have sung, and even the, the looks on your faces tell me that maybe we are tracking today, that within our lives, we are experiencing the simultaneous presence of deep pain or suffering or challenge or grief and this persistent sense that there is joy moving about somewhere. And it's so elusive, we can't quite grab onto it, we can't control it, we can't contain it. And today I want us to live in that place of tension between the two, a bit of friction. Here on the third Sunday of Advent, we are continuing our journey together to Christmas, to the stable in Bethlehem, and there we will meet the arrival, our Lord at his arrival. Very often in these Sundays that precede Christmas, we return to the familiar stories of Jesus coming, but today we will not be telling the stories of, of expectant mothers, we're not going to be telling the stories of taxation, we're not gonna be telling stories of shepherds or sheep, but in a sense we are. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians, and we're going to read words of exhortation, words of encouragement and blessing by a shepherd named Paul to sheep called the church in Thessalonica. And in chapter 5 of this first letter to the Thessalonians, Paul is wrapping up this body of teaching and encouragement. He was very concerned for the Thessalonians when he dispatched Timothy to go see them. He had to leave Thessalonica in a hurry, as it turns out, and he was both receiving reports and, like all pastors, just concerned that everything would be okay in his absence. And he's overjoyed, it says at the beginning of the letter, to receive such a good report from Timothy that the people had held not only together, but were continuing to find their way in difficult circumstances as a minority religion, as people who had been set apart with more questions than they had answers, holding together as the church of Jesus Christ. And as he concludes his letter, he concludes with these words. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you. Oh, excuse me. But you, brothers and... Nope, 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 nope. Fourteen. Where are you? We urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened, help the weak. Make sure nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks 
in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And put this in your back pocket for those difficult days. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. May God bless the reading and the hearing of the word today. Well, on this, the third Sunday of Advent, the church, particularly the medieval church, has given us a Latin name by which we will remember it forever. You can try and say it with me, Gaudete. This is Gaudete Sunday, and that's medieval Latin for y'all rejoice. And that's why uh, back in those days, the third candle was set apart from the others. The deepest tradition of the church held probably the longest standing festival to be Lent, that is, the, the season of anticipation of Easter. And it was a time of repentance. It was a time of reflection. It was a time of austerity and fasting and prayer in order to prepare for the arrival of Easter resurrection celebration. In a sense, walking through a season of dying to self that we might rise again with Christ. And when Advent began to develop and became in uh, a feature of church life, it became something of a, of a mini Lent. That's why the colors were the same for a long time, purple. But because there is this note of joy, there is this persistent sense that in the midst of all the difficulty, there is something new that is happening and we can rejoice they set apart this pink candle, which is the liturgical color for celebration and rejoicing. And times have changed. If you go to some other churches and other traditions, you'll see that the candles are blue. We don't use blue. We use perhaps the, the version 1.0 of Advent, and that's okay. In Baptist life, we are not thoroughly well-formed in all of those uh, liturgical traditions and colors. We're not used to thinking about worship through the lens of rituals or through aesthetics in worship. In fact, one of my friends told me one time when she first went to the church she was serving, the choir had uh, stoles on their choir robes for the different liturgical colors, for the different seasons of the year, but instead they opted to match the stoles they were wearing with the flowers at the communion table. And that's okay, that's very Baptist. So we may not necessarily first think about these colors, and particularly the set-apartness of this Sunday as being very significant, but I want us now to consider just that. And here again, Paul's call for all of us, as with that first generation of Christians, rejoice always, pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. On this third Sunday of Advent, Gaudete Sunday, 
a very rainy and cold day. It is an invitation for us to make a choice. You know, we advertise and we promote it and we've encouraged you to come be a part of the amazing celebration in worship tonight. And it's going to be music and scripture from start to end. And I'm not saying this just because I have a tiny piece back here. It really is a worshipful experience. And the circumstances outside tell me that we're going to have to choose to be here to share it together. We're going to have to make that choice. Joy, in the same way, is a choice. It's a choice for us. We must choose to rejoice. And I choose to rejoice in the Lord today, to rejoice and give thanks, because this is a day to remember our joy. And even as I say this, I know it probably sounds tone-deaf, I know it sounds flat-footed to some of you because you may be feeling overwhelmed right now with stress, or you may be struggling just to hold it all together, or maybe in this season you are just going through the motions and trying to get through it and get to the other side. You may be wearing a smile, but it is a mask, and you are hiding behind it, and you're pretending that this is, yes, the most wonderful time of the year, but you don't feel that way. You have cares, and you have concerns, and they are threatening to drown your joy. And if that is you, if I've told you a little bit about yourself today, if I, in the same breath, tell you to choose joy, that may actually add another burden to the weight that you're already carrying. One thing I know about this congregation is you are zealous overachievers and you are zealously trying to live the disciples' life to the utmost. And if I place on you in that context yet another expectation, I'm not sure I'm helping. I'm not relieving you of any burdens. In response to this, I've known some pastors who will take a little black ribbon and tie it around that pink candle just to remind people like me and everyone who gathers in spaces like this today the obvious statement that life is hard. And as we read through Scripture, we realize Scripture is not so naive as to declare joy in the face of all circumstances without completely understanding our condition. In Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, joy and celebration and suffering are frequent dance partners. And so to think about Paul's letters to the body and the call for Christians to suffer with one another as well as to celebrate with one another. Or in Ecclesiastes, when there is a time to mourn and a time to dance. All in the same life, they belong together. There's no claim that in embracing joy, the suffering is simply left behind. They're never absent completely from one another in this life. But unlike happiness which is to joy, like I've been saying that perhaps ease is to peace, or optimism is to hope. Unlike happiness, 
you can feel quite miserable and cultivate joy at the same time. In fact, it is in those times that you might most benefit. It might be the most important times for you to cultivate joy. And that is why we're talking about it today. Because of the hard way our lives have taken us. Yes, sorrow and joy can exist together in a God-centered person. Henry Nouwen wrote that. Because nothing can take God away from us. Scripture tells us that not even death can separate us from the love of God in Christ. And so we have been given the foundation upon which we can rejoice. We can choose to rejoice because we know that our joy is deeper and it is stronger than any of our happiness or sadness that we may experience in this world. Joy, at least, is our way as Christians of refusing to let the sorrow of this world sin. Willie Jennings taught theology at Duke while I was there. And he says that joy is an act of resistance against despair and its forces. A little back in time, Thomas More said that earth has no sorrow that heaven cannot heal. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer brought it into crystal clarity for me. He said, the joy of God that Christ brings has passed through the poverty of the manger and the torment of the cross. And so it is unconquerable, irrefutable. Unconquerable, irrefutable joy. Sign me up. That's the joy of God. That's what today is about and so as we continue to contemplate what it means to choose joy today i want to remind you first that as with every discipline in a disciple's life that choice is not made once and forever but it is instead a daily sometimes hourly returning to that upon which we want to place our focus. Remember how Jesus talked about being a disciple at all in Luke chapter 9? Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Joy, in the same way, is a choice based on this knowledge that we belong to God, that We have found in God our refuge and our strength and our safety and nothing, not even death, can take God away from us. And yet we have to remind ourselves and turn once again and again and again to that awareness. How do we do that? And Paul's encouragement, he gives us something of a cheat sheet, I guess. How do we do that? How do we choose joy? Or maybe more broadly, how do we nurture that joy if joy is a tree where the poinsettias here, which require really frequent watering, but just enough and in just the right amounts? How do we keep our connection to joy healthy? How do we help it grow? And really specifically, as we learn in Galatians chapter 5, 
joy, being part of that great fruit of the Spirit, how do we set the conditions of our lives in such a way that that fruit will show up? Not just for us, but for others. Well, Paul says rejoice always. And then he shows us how. So let me read again, and hopefully you can hear it. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. And so Paul invites us to rejoice always, to pray without ceasing, to give thanks in all circumstances. And he tells us that we should do all of this because this is God's desire. This is God's will. This is God's way for those who follow Jesus. Without ceasing, in all circumstances, rejoice, pray, and give thanks. Over time, I have moved from a place of reading this particular scripture as a series of kind of three discrete commands, kind of taking us, in a sense, in three different directions. But as I've reflected more and more on them, I've started to see how they are bound up together. What if in cultivating all three of these at the same time, in the same direction, that becomes the pathway by which we can begin to approach our understanding of choosing joy. Pray without ceasing. Paul says that we cultivate the conditions of our lives to experience that joy by praying without ceasing. It's that reminder as Jesus so often taught his disciples not to give up on prayer. Keep at it. Even when it doesn't seem to be working, however we want to define working, in our short-sightedness and in our instant gratification mindsets, very often we pray, doesn't work, it doesn't happen, and we set it down. Keep praying. Jesus told that very memorable story of a very persistent widow knocking on the door of an unjust judge who eventually just wears the judge out with her persistence. Stay connected with God. We can stay connected with God when things are going very well, but we're often tempted to jump ship there too and pat ourselves on the back a little too much. Stay connected with God in prayer when things are not going well. In all the space in between. And when we do that, when we in prayer open ourselves up to the very presence of God, we find ourselves growing more and more in that joy because we are anchored fully in the presence of of God, and we become sensitive to the ways that God is present and God is active among us. Sometimes we have to sit longer than we are comfortable in God's presence before we begin to perceive in our circumstance or in our environment or in others how God may be at work. Pray, and don't give up on praying. In addition, give thanks in all circumstances. Don't pray apart from giving thanks because gratitude of course is that way that we nurture joy being thankful helps us to rejoice and we can find reasons to be thankful 
And we can give thanks in all circumstances because we believe in a God who knows no bounds, whose love knows no bounds. And God promises to provide for us and care for us in ways that we see, in ways which as we reflect and as we still the noise of our own life and our own hearts, we begin to perceive in new ways. The God of the universe cares enough to count the very hairs on our heads. A God who in love sent his son as a sacrificial gift that we would not perish but have everlasting life. We have often remembered one of the other saints of this church alongside Grace Pickett for another generation was Karen Medlin. And Karen's fingerprints are all over the soles of the people in this room. It was one of the first things I learned and she was one of the first names I learned when I arrived here 10 years ago. And one of Karen's great refrains, even through her years and her ordeal with her cancer, was before you go to bed, every night, you name three things for which you're thankful. It may be very personal. It may be, you know, as big as the world. But your last thoughts are going to be on those three points of gratitude. When we cultivate that, again, as a daily, a regular discipline, we again calibrate our lives and our spirits to be sensitive to the joy that is present in us. Do not quench the spirit, the apostle tells us. And in this way, he's telling us a bit about the source of this joy. If we feel any pressure to rejoice, it's probably because we think we need to be the ones who manufacture that joy. But what Scripture tells us is that when we say yes to Jesus and we receive Him at the center of our lives, we also receive the Holy Spirit, the seal of that relationship, which empowers and gifts us to be able to experience the presence and the work of God in our lives in new and ever-fresh ways. The fruit of the Spirit, wrote the Apostle, is love, joy, peace, and goes on, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And allowing that Spirit to be at work in us is a vital step in experiencing the joy that endures, the joy that comes at Christmas, the joy that comes in knowing God, despite our circumstances, it's like our Advent candles, I suppose. You, you all probably remember, if you were in worship last week or you were on the live stream, that there was a bit of a struggle to get one of our candles lighted last week. And it is not the responsibility of those beloved Sunshine volunteers who persisted and persisted and persisted. The conditions weren't right. And bless her heart, Pam Wheeler, I think, set here shaving for a long time after the service and lit and relit and relit just to make sure those candles would light when they were called upon to light. The fire was ready to burn. The conditions weren't available in that candle to shine. And I want us to think now, again, about those paths that converge upon joy 
Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In all things, give thanks. And cultivate a life that doesn't cover up the Holy Spirit, but instead allows the Holy Spirit to bring the light which will shine as our joy. There's grace in this, of course. The arrival of that light is a gift. You didn't ask for it. You wouldn't know how to make it if you tried. It's given to you as part of this package of knowing and following Jesus. And there's a choice that remains. In a sense, your hand is on the dimmer switch. And it can be as low or as high as you turn it. As you dedicate yourself to these practices of faith and anchor yourself in the presence of God, orient yourself to the places where you might give thanks and remember that the joy that stays within us and resides regardless of circumstances is a gift that comes from knowing Jesus in the presence of the Holy Spirit. I pray that wherever you find yourself today, you too can rejoice. Always. As Mary Martha and Courtney lead us now in our time of response, it's the opportunity to open our hands and to share the gifts of your life with God in, in our offerings. And more to open your life to share yourself with God. If that joy you require, that you need, that you hunger for is not yours, and you've never taken that first step to trust Jesus with your life and to trust him to lead you all the way home to God, then today may be that day. Or perhaps you need to return to a promise you made to him a long time ago, or you need in some way to open yourself up to new work. Don't waste the time that we've been given now to respond in prayer. And if you feel so led at the conclusion of this service to make that decision or that response known to this congregation, I'll be at the front to receive you as we, as we sing together. I'll proudly present you. We will welcome you, and we will walk together toward greater spiritual maturity. Whatever your choice may be, let us respond.